Thank you, Hans. And thank you, yeah, all for the privilege of coming here to preach God's word to you. Um, it would be great if you kept your Bibles open. We're going to be referring to passages um, from uh, sections of Philippians 3, but also from other parts of the Bible. So from time to time, also, I'll just raise my hand to just indicate to Ian to change slides. So don't be worried about that. Let me pray for us. Let's talk to God. Gracious Father God. Father, we need your help. Nothing will happen unless your spirit stirs each one of us. We thank you for your word, uh, the word of the true and living God, the word that is living and active, that cuts us to our hearts, that judges our thoughts, our attitudes, and can bring us life. Please, Father, help us to respond to your word. Help me to preach it faithfully, clearly, lovingly. Father, I know I'm frail and weak as a servant of yours, but please, Please be the power of your word, Father, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, what is it that really matters? What is it that matters? And here's some questions that can actually help you to figure out what really matters. For example, what is it that keeps you up at night? I suspect that's what matters to you. What is it that you hope for? What is it that you put your confidence in? What is it that you trust. These are things that might help you figure out what really matters. Uh, there's that, saving as, uh, that saying, as safe as houses. Uh, this summer and every summer we see that no house is safe, is it? City or bush, bushfires destroy houses. Uh, our government tells us that superannuation is safe. That's what we should be focusing on. Uh, But all it takes is another global financial crisis at the wrong time, isn't it? And a third or more, half, maybe even more of your retirement could be done away with in a matter of days. Is that what matters? As long as you have your health, they say. Uh, We hear that coronavirus, some experts believe, could affect many more in the world. Billions, in fact. Uh, Every cloud, though, has a silver lining. One of the benefits of being Chinese is that if I'm in a crowded line, I could just... (coughs) And it just clears and I... Is health the thing that matters? And, you know, I, I think if we're honest, we probably have a series of things that matter, a priority of things and things that matter more than other things. So I, I want to say, what, re- what really matters? What is ultimate What is of first importance? And what is that thing that matters that you would be willing to trade the other things that also matter to you? What is it that really matters? Well, in the first few verses, Paul talks about a serious matter. And he's really talking about what it it means to put your confidence in something in your relationship with God. And Paul uses really strong language. You know, you don't think of a, a... a minister, a pastor using language like, watch out for those dogs, watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. It's strong language, isn't it? But if you think about it as Paul, as a spiritual father, a pastor who cares for his people, and think of yourself, those of you who are parents, that if you are warning your children or grandchildren, at times you use strong language, don't you? When they're about to run across the road. 
when they're about to put their hand and tip over a pot of hot water on them. You're strong, aren't you? You're blunt, you're direct. And Paul is saying, this is so serious that I need to warn you strongly to safeguard you because this really matters. This is your relationship with God. There is nothing more important than your relationship with, with God and what you put your confidence in. So Paul talks about confidence in the flesh in verse 3. And I think that is confidence in self, confidence in what you do. Not confidence in what God has done for you, but confidence in what you do for God. That's religion, isn't it? Confidence in what you do for God. And here he talks about circumcision. So a group of false teachers have come into this uh, church in Philippi. The danger is that they are going to turn the people who are truly in Christ Jesus, who have the spirit of God and are going to put their confidence in something else. And right here, it's circumcision, a command from God in the Old Testament, something he told Abraham to do, something that was commanded for God's people to do, but now used as something to put your confidence in. Yeah, 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 all the Jesus stuff. Yeah, we believe that. You do need Jesus, but but you need to do more. Jesus is not enough. You need to also do this stuff in order to be right with God. Circumcision. Uh, some of you might use something called LinkedIn. Uh, it's social media for professionals. Um, some of you use Facebook or Instagram. LinkedIn is where you put your CV, your resume up there, and you connect with other people. So in fact, if you hop, hop on LinkedIn, you can find Malcolm Turnbull's LinkedIn page. Okay, so a CV really is the things that you say about yourself, the things you have achieved, the roles that you've had, and things that basically you've put your confidence in at some level. You know, when you, you look at, at LinkedIn for enough time, you kind of feel pretty bad about yourself, like all social media. It's designed to help you figure out where you rank. So here's Malcolm Turnbull's, it's impressive LinkedIn resume. Graduate of Sydney Grammar, Completed law and arts degrees at the University of Sydney. Rhodes Scholar, Oxford University. A barrister, an investment banker, minister for communications, 29th Prime Minister of Australia. Net worth, approximately $180 million. He's the cream of the cream, isn't he, in this country? The best of the best. Now, if you want to put confidence in yourself, this is the kind of CV you put your confidence in. This open doors in Australia, any door. When it comes to your relationship with God, uh, the Apostle Paul had an impressive CV. Extremely impressive. If anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, says Paul. He is the Jew of Jews. He's the cream of the cream. No, No more impressive CV than this guy. He's born in the right tribe. He's circumcised on the eighth day. He not only follows the law, he trains under Gamaliel, a top Pharisee, and as for zeal, as for passion to follow God's law, he even goes to the point of persecuting Christians. As for righteousness, faultless, according to the law, Paul says. I mean, you think about it, Paul would have been the envy of his countrymen, the pride of his parents. He imprisoned Christians, he even approved of their death. If you had a daughter... You would want Paul to marry your daughter. That's the kind of CV, right? 
And what does Paul think of this CV now? Garbage. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute Christians, to put more confidence in the flesh. Jesus meets him and he is never the same. When it comes to your relationship with God, we can never do anything that makes us right with God. Our sin is so immense, so deep, and God's glory is so great that it must be what God has done for us alone and nothing else in paul's word in verse 9 not having a righteousness that comes from the law not having a righteousness that comes from putting confidence in self but trusting in jesus christ alone in his sacrificial death for our sin that is the only way so that we don't die for our sin So that God's perfect judgment does not obliterate us or separate us from him. And all we can do is to have faith in Jesus. That's all we can do, Paul says. To be found in him, as Paul says in verse 9. Look at how Paul looks at his life before Jesus. A loss, verse 7. He had gained everything. But it was now a loss for the sake of Christ. All of his previous gains were now garbage to him, verse 8. In fact, the Greek word can be even stronger than that. Excrement, manure, crap. That is what Paul now writes on his LinkedIn page. Garbage, manure. All of my achievements compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, is rubbish. What doesn't matter? Confidence in the flesh. What you do for God isn't what matters. It is what God does for you that matters. What are you tempted to put your confidence in other than Jesus? Your morality, your good works, it's a danger for pastors. Look at all the things I did for you, God. Your heritage, maybe. You're from a strong Christian family. What about this church? What do you put your confidence in as a church? This is what I hear when I talk to pastors. If only we had young people. If only we had a building. If only we had the right pastor. What really matters? What is Paul saying? What really matters now is knowing Christ. 
The surpassing worth of knowing Christ, verse 8. I love that phrase. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus is of great value. A value that is much, much greater than anything else in comparison. Uh, uh, That parable, that parable uh, in Matthew I love that parable, a very short parable. I'm going to read it in full, Matthew 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And what that parable shows that if you find something of greater value, you are willing to leave the thing of lesser value in order to gain the thing of greater value. And, and it requires a leaving of something of value to gain that thing of greater value. And that's what Paul did. But in order to leave behind that thing that valued to you before, you must value the thing that you're about to, to leave that thing behind and cherish. Let me tell you a story. A poor fisherman, true story, from the island of Palawan in the Philippines was in his boat and his anchor snagged on something heavy. He discovered that the snag was a giant clam that is common in this area around the Philippines, but what was not common is that inside he discovered a 34-kilogram pearl, 30 centimetres by 60 centimetres. It has now been recognised as the world's largest pearl. And the fisherman, not realising what it was worth, continued to live in his small thatched hut on his island. And for 10 years, he kept this giant pearl hidden under his bed as a good luck charm. You know, just give it a touch before you go out fishing. When he was moving house, he asked his aunt Cynthia to look after it. And Cynthia was shocked when she saw it. Uh, Cynthia also happens to be the tourism official for the city of Puerto Princesa. She said it was pointless to hide it, as they didn't really know the value of it. And she said everyone should see this thing. And so the pearl was displayed in City Hall. This is what the South China Morning Post said. Puerto Princesa City Information Officer Richard Ligard confirmed Cynthia Amurao's account and said the man who found it could be in for a massive change in his life's fortunes. What do you think this pearl is worth? You know, maybe a million? Uh, Forbes.com estimates that the pearl is worth $100 million. Uh, That's life-changing, isn't it? And what gets me is that for 10 years, he kept it hidden under his bed, not having any idea of what it was worth. And isn't that what we do as Christians? Uh, Jesus is tucked away somewhere, hidden away in our lives, and occasionally he comes out like a good luck charm. (coughs) When I need a bit of help. Our Bibles sit on our shelves gathering dust. We miss out on so much, don't we? When we fail to realize what Jesus is worth. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. 
Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, Aunt Cynthia was right, wasn't she? Display your treasure to the world. And not only to the world, to yourself. Find out what your treasure is worth. What really matters? What really matters now is knowing Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from faith. But what matters then is knowing Christ, isn't it? What matters then is knowing Christ. When you read these verses, you know, I I think of the Apostle Paul. If, If anyone knew Jesus, it would be him, wouldn't it? And yet, as you read these verses, it seems like Paul is not satisfied that he knows Jesus enough. I know he's a value, but I want to know even more how much value he is to me. Have a look at verse 10. I want to know Christ, he says. I press on, verse 12, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul wants to suffer like Jesus. And he's not talking about needing to die a death for atonement, but he aligns his life with the life of Jesus, that whatever is good enough for Jesus is good enough for him, even if that means suffering and opposition and persecution. And that's what happened to Paul. He persecuted the Christians, and now he's a Christian who is persecuted. And Jesus grips his future, that he's striving towards heaven. Verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If you were to summarize Paul's life in the Philippian letter, it is all about Jesus. What does he say in chapter 1? To live is Christ. What does he think about death? It's better by far, isn't it, to depart and be with Christ. He's in chains for Christ. Where does he find his joy? Rejoice in the Lord, not your circumstances. In fact, he has learnt contentment in every and any situation because of Christ. And Paul is still not satisfied that he knows Jesus enough. Let me ask you this question from time to time. This is what... I do when I meet with people is I ask them this question. What does Jesus mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? Uh, I can tell you about my wife, Emma. We've been married 21 years. I can tell you she means so much to me. She's compassionate. She's kind. I was drawn to her kindness. She's gentle. She meets anyone and people just love her. She relates well to everyone. She's a wonderful mother. She's loyal. She's faithful. My mum loves my wife. I can't tell you what she means to me. I'm trying to find words to tell you. And I can tell you, if you will listen to me talk about Emma, I can tell you what she means to me. I wonder if we were to go out for coffee and I ask you that question, what does Jesus mean to you? Could you tell me? Jesus means everything, doesn't he? Everything. The reason why I love Emma is that Jesus means more to her than I do to her. And that's how she loves me even better than if I meant everything to her. 
What does Jesus mean to you? I'm going to show you some things from the scriptures. You know, take a snapshot of this if you want, using your phone, or write some of this down. It's just all from scripture. What does Jesus mean to me? He is my redeemer. He buys my freedom from sin and death. Jesus is my Lord. Remember Thomas falling down and declaring that. Jesus is my groom. There's a widow in one of the Bible studies that I am involved in. And, and, and we ask that opening question in the Bible study that could have any answer. What, what do you, what's, what's your purpose in life? And she said, without batting an eyelid, it is, it is to be the groom for Jesus. It is to be the bride for my groom, Jesus. Without batting an eyelid. And that encouraged me that that should be my purpose too. To be the bride who's ready to see Jesus. He's my friend. He doesn't just call me servant. He calls me friend. He is my co-heir. That is the inheritance I look forward to from God. I'm going to share that with Jesus. He's my ever-present help. He's promised to never leave me to the end of the age. And he will dwell within me and make his home in me. From John's gospel. He is my first love and, and it's a danger to lose my first love. As the churches were warned in Revelation. He is my co-sufferer. From this passage, he is my treasure, my prize, my pearl. What does Jesus mean to you? You could do a lot worse than take one or two of these things and meditate on them for the rest of the year. And at the end of the year, Jesus will mean more to you. Friends, what does Jesus mean to this church? I'm praying for the right pastor for this church. The junior pastor, sorry. I'm praying for the right junior pastor because this church has always had the right senior pastor. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of this church. Jesus is the treasure of this church. And you will not lose your way if he remains so. What does Jesus mean to this town? That's what I got from Jared's heart when he shared. You know, you know the word mission? It's a lot of words like that confuse, don't they? Mission, chaplain, sending, ministry. Let me make it really simple. Jesus means everything to this town. The future, both present and eternal, of this town lies in the hands of Jesus. So he means everything, doesn't he? And when children from the primary school and the high school get to know him, he changes lives. He transforms families. He saves people. And here's the link, right? I think if Jesus means something to you, if Jesus means something to this church, it will come out. It will come out in this town. When you're walking, when you're doing the banking, and when you're shopping, and when you're filling up at the servo, and someone asks you, why are you like that? And in a moment you say, because of Jesus, not because of me. But notice Paul says that you need to do some forgetting. He needed to do some forgetting. Forgetting what is behind, verse 13. I, I wish... 
Have you seen, some of you have seen that movie Men in Black, where they've got this little device and it makes you forget things? <laughs> I wish that was real. There's a lot of things I wish I could forget, and I'm sure you're the same. And I don't think, I don't think Paul is saying like, like a, well, two things. I don't think he's saying self-denial. Like, you know, some people, la, 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 I don't want to listen. I don't, I don't want to deny things. I don't want to deny grief that's happened to me, hurt, experiences that are hard, okay? They're real. They leave real scars. I think forgetting is not actively remembering. Like when things come into your mind, you, you give them over to God. That's what he says in, in chapter 4, doesn't it? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving. Pray when you, you feel anxiety, when, when things come back to you from your past. Forget. And Paul had a lot to forget, didn't he? Just think for a moment of the guilt, the shame, the pain. He taught people the wrong way, yeah? He taught people the wrong way. He approved of the death and imprisonment of Christians like Stephen in Acts 7. He lost the approval and the status of all those who would have respected him, all those close to him. He suffered greatly. And all of this he had to put behind him. These were not the things that defined him because Christ defines him. Christ is in him, and he is in Christ. Friends, what is it you need to forget? Is it the guilt and the shame of your sin? Is it the grief of your circumstances? Is it the hurt of broken relationships? Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, isn't it? Let Christ be who you strain towards. He is what defines you. I read this article recently on the Gospel Coalition website, Johnny Erickson Tata, celebrating 50 years of ministry in a wheelchair. And the article was entitled, Why Johnny Erickson Tata Praises God for Not Healing Her. When Johnny was in high school, Johnny defined herself by her sporting ability. A month after high school, though, Johnny performs this dive in the shallows of Chesapeake Bay, and in an instant... She was paralyzed and became a quadriplegic. And initially, Johnny desperately wanted healing to walk again, but because that was who she was, wasn't it? She was an athlete. That it was her identity. That is how, how she defined herself. And she went to healing service after healing service, and eventually she slumped into despair and anger at God. When she cried out, she didn't hear the answer that he would heal her. Johnny writes, the despair was claustrophobic and I finally whimpered, I can't live this way. I'm so lost. God, show me the way, show me how to live. It was my first plea for help. And next came fresh days when my sister would get me up, plop a Bible on a music stand and park my wheelchair in front of it. With a mouth stick, I would flip this way and that, trying to make sense of it all. I collapsed in tears when I began to glimpse how heinous my sin was. Physical healing paled in comparison to the unthinkable abuse my transgressions heaped on my Lord. So for the last 50 years in my wheelchair, I've been daily dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self 
and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. My goal is to mortify my fleshly desires so I might find, find myself in Christ. God has been answering my prayer, exposing dark things in my heart, things from which I need to be healed. Does God miraculously heal? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he is of surpassing worth, isn't he? He is what matters more than anything else, and he is worth giving everything else that matters to you to gain. Let me pray. Gracious Father God, thank you, Father, for showing us what is of ultimate worth. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the great joy of knowing him, of having faith in him, of being found in him, having a righteousness that is a gift from you. Father, you see the things we keep hidden. There is nothing hidden before your eyes. You have seen the worst of us, and yet you have given us your very best. Gracious Father God, we thank you so much. Father, you know the things we treasure, the forbidden things. You know even the good things that we treasure more than Jesus. And we pray that you will help us to consider all these things garbage in, in comparison to the surpassing worth of Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at this church. Father, may Mafra Community Church be a church that values you, that treasures Jesus, that knows its worth in Jesus. Please, Father, I pray that Jesus would shine clearly in this town, that you would pour your spirit out, Father, onto men, women and children in this town, that they would see the surpassing worth of Jesus and find life in him. Father, we pray that you would provide the right pastor for this church, but that you would make Jesus the chief shepherd, the senior pastor of this church always. I pray and commit all these things to you in his name. Amen.